0: Well, we're in our uh, third and final uh, piece of our, our uh, little study where we're looking into the, the Scripture and asking the question is, is the Bible really reliable? And, um, and if, so, if so, why? Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, this isn't really a sermon so it's a little different than I usually offer at this point in our Sunday service but it's an explanation of some things we thought it was important enough to step out of our norm and and do this I want to review review real quickly where where we've been we've been talking about uh... the the bible and first of all we looked at how unique the bible is that it's it is extraordinarily unique i won't go through all the details we mentioned this two weeks ago we went through it in detail then but there there's no other book in the world written by so many different people over such a long period of time uh... in different uh, languages, uh, different uh, literary styles, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and yet it has one consistent message and one central figure. There's no other book, no other book like it. Then we looked at the fact that the Bible is historically accurate. We looked at that last week and used a few examples from archaeology to show that 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 basically, uh, whenever the archaeological data is kind of complete, it's, you've gotten to the bottom of it. And, and then you compare it to what the Bible has said, that so far, I mean, there are some places that are still being investigated, some questions uh, out there that are unanswered yet, but every one that's answered jives with the Bible. So the Bible is, is in fact, historically accurate. Then a biggie that I didn't spend a ton of time on because it is so big is the fact that the Bible uh, and uh, the Bible and science are not really in conflict and that that goes against everything that we're being told but the way we look at it is that there are two books that God wrote one is creation and one you know everything that's made the world that we live in and then he wrote the scriptures he used people to write the scriptures And so they're not, it's the same author, they're not really in conflict. And what I hinted at a little bit last week was that, that um, your worldview or the, the presuppositions that you bring to this question, does the Bible conflict with science, has a whole lot... To do with where you end up in your discussions. As a matter of fact, it's almost more important than than just the particular questions that you're looking at. And so I would say that the Bible really is not in conflict with science. And then we looked at the fact that the Bible consistent consistently, and comprehensively, from beginning to end, in every different kind of passage there is in the Bible, it asserts that. God is writing it, that the, that this book is given from God. It's asserting that the what's being written down has come from God. He's using people to do it, but what's being written is what God wants written. It's not that the people who were writing it didn't think that, but later other people said, hey, I think God God did that. No, as it was happening, the people knew that this is... This is from God, so um, we ha- let me go backwards. So we have this so far, and um, that—that's what we've—that was—that's what we've covered so far. And the cumulative effect of this is that we have a growing sense of confidence in the Bible, and we realize that we have to take it seriously. And part of what it means to take the Bible seriously is to actually read it, amen? Just to actually read the Bible. But now, what I want to look at today is uh, the Bible's textual reliability. It's uh, unrivaled. Now, what, what do, exactly do I mean by that? Well, if someone might say, um, okay, even if God led those people to write down what he wanted them to write down. How can you have any confidence that what you're reading now when you pick this book up, how do you, how do you know that what you're reading now is anything close to what was originally written? Because we don't have the original manuscripts, they've all decayed, they all went away. We only have copies and there were, that was so many years ago. So how can you have any confidence at all uh, about this? Well, let's think about this. Um, how, how do we know that it's textually reliable, that what we're reading and holding is, is actually reflecting what was originally written. Anybody want to know? Yeah. Or no, we can just go back out in the snow, but yeah, yeah okay. I, I forgot. Well, I'm going back. So there are two questions. Question one and question two. There are two questions of paramount importance when establishing the reliability of an old document. So this has to do with any old document, anything written in antiquity. You're asked two questions, and the answer to those two questions helps you understand, is this reliable? Is what I have now reliable, close to the original, or not? So let's look at the first question. The first question is, how many manuscripts do I have? So it was written long ago, it was, it, and then people had copies of it. How many of those copies do I have? It occurred to me that when I'm saying how many manuscripts do we have, we probably should slow down and say, what's a manuscript, right? So a manuscript, manuscript. Manu means, it comes from the word for hand, like manual labor. Script means to write, handwriting. Okay, so a manuscript, this is, manuscripts, this is all before the printing press. So these are, are written, handwritten copies is what they are. In the old days, they were made from papyrus. Uh, Those are papyrus plants uh, from the time of Moses. He had some pictures and we found them. Just kidding, that's actually taken on the campus of Mississippi State. Uh, but the papyrus, papyrus, so these are papyrus plants and then they're, they're, beaten, to get, they're beaten down and dried and, and made into kind of like a, a smooth mat and you can write on it, um, there's a fragment of an ancient, uh, ancient uh, papyrus manuscript with with handwriting on it and, and uh, I guess it might be a little hard to see but you can see the the, the threads not the threads but the, the the sinews of the papyrus so this is what people wrote on way way back either that or parchment well parchment Uh, parchment's made out of animal skins so they take this is an old drawing of a guy making parchment so you take the animal skin you'd stretch it out you take some sharp implement and you'd shave it real you just keep shaving it down until it got real thin and then they would they would work it and dry it in a certain way and then they would write on it that's a picture of the book of Esther uh, written uh, on parchment uh, on parchment so they'd make these they and then they, they would cut it and they would make uh, books or scrolls out of that so um, how many you know one of the, the the questions about is how many of those are left of whatever old book or old writing it is how many manuscripts are are there because because the more manuscripts you have you can compare them to one another and you have more a chance of putting together okay okay this must have been the original like if you have lots and lots of manuscripts you can you can see where some scribe made a mistake because it differs from all the others so you can you can pl- put it all together the more you have the better amen that's question number one. Question number two, how much time has expired between the original writing and your manuscripts, right? Somebody, somebody say, man, this is exciting. <laughs> yeah, okay, I saw somebody said that. Okay, so how many manuscripts do you have, the more the better, and how much time has elapsed between, okay, this is when the guy wrote it, and, and, and this is the earliest manuscript I have. That's, well, if I have a manuscript here, that's better than out here, right? So your earliest manuscript, how close is it to when the original was written? Those are the two questions, the two main questions that establish the reliability of any ancient document, anything. So you apply it to the Bible as well as to other things. So I've got this timeline here and I wanna, I wanna show you, I'm trying to illustrate, I'm gonna compare the reliability of the New Testament to several ancient pieces of literature that are famous. So I'm gonna apply those two questions, one and two, to several um, famous, they're probably, you probably have copies of these in your bookshelf at home. Uh, And then, and then, I was joking, and then the New Testament. So, let's think about um, Pliny, right? Do you have Pliny at home? So, Pliny Secundus, he wrote Natural History, and he wrote it in uh, 1000, A.D. 113. Now, I'm going to keep all this stuff in bags because I have to do it again, but I have these packing peanuts. You see these packing peanuts? Okay, one packing peanut means one manuscript. Got that? And everything you're going to see, a warning, don't try this at home. But everything you're about to see, we have calculated this out so it's accurate. So every one packing peanut is a manuscript. Pliny, uh, Pliny Secundus has, there are seven manuscripts, okay? There are seven manuscripts, <clears throat> and the earliest one is 750 years from when the original was written. Got it? Isn't that a cool timeline? Just wait. This is so much fun. So it was written right around 113 A.D., but, and it's, there are seven manuscripts. You guys have a copy of this at home, I'm sure. Pliny's, Secundus's, okay, uh, Natural History. And there are seven manuscripts. Got it. Okay, what about Caesar's Gallic Wars? Well, Caesar's Gallic Wars, that was written around uh, 44 B.C. There's 10 manuscripts, okay? Got them, counted them. So there's 10 manuscripts, and, but it was 1,000 years. So there's 1,000 years between when the original was written and those 10 manuscripts start to show up, okay? Are we together on this? All right. Then, what about Tacticus? Well, the annals that Tacticus wrote, there are 20. So this is starting to get better, right? The more, the more manuscripts, the better. 20, man, 20 different manuscripts, but it's still a long way away. Look at that arrow. It's a it's 1,000 years be, be, between the closest manuscript and when the original was written. Well, how about Demosthenes? I'm glad you asked. So... <laughs> Demothenes, look at this, now we're getting somewhere, he wrote in about BC 300, and um, he has, that we have 200, so we've got 200 manuscripts, um, but look at this uh, line, it's 1400 years so there's more manuscripts but it's also a longer period of time so that people try to figure out how reliable is this well let's go to something that actually some of you might have this one on your shelf and that's Homer's Iliad that's famous and look at this Homer's Iliad's got 643 manuscripts so compared to Pliny he's got a mere seven 643 that's pretty impressive Amen? And um, and look at the look at the arrow. Did I forget? Yes, I forgot. Boom. It's only four hundred years. So Iliad Iliad is actually showing up. This is way more reliable. When you're reading Homer's Iliad, you're way more confident that what you're reading is what was written than you are when you read Pliny. You know? So when you when you're at your garage sale and you're selling this stuff you only get a quarter for Pliny but you could get a you know a buck and a half for so now how does this compare to the New Testament so and we'll deal with the Old Testament in a second how does this compare to the New Testament well, let me take the second question first What's the distance between? Well, notice now, this is going to be a little red. See that little red right there? That's the period of time in which the New Testament was written. Because all these other things are just one point on the, you know, it's just one thing that was written. But the New Testament was a series of books. So it was over about uh, 50 years, from about the year 50 to about the year 100 okay uh, the book of Revelation was written right around the, the year 100 so you've got 50 years span now watch this when how close to that are the manuscripts that we have you ready for this ready right there did you see that it actually touches there is a fragment of the gospel of John that would have been, we have, and it's dated back to the person that would have written it, okay, listen to this, would have been a child at the time that John was still living. And then, so John writes it, and while he's writing it, there's this little whippersnapper running around somewhere. He dies. His his manuscript starting to wear out, so so this guy is growing up, and then he becomes a Christian, probably, and he finds this and he copies it, amen. Like he's so close that he was actually alive while John was alive, but he was he was a child. That's pretty close. That even that even makes the 400 years of the Iliad look bad. Now it wasn't all that close, but it goes from about the year 50 to the year uh, 225. So you go from 100 to 225. I'm starting to lose some of you. but we got a, the longest span of about 125 years, versus the best we had was Homer's Iliad." It was 400 years. But what about the number of manuscripts? How many manuscripts were that do we have? Why are you smiling? Well, let's start putting... That's more, isn't it? And there's this. And there's that. And there's this. And there's this. And... And there's this and that's it. Okay. Hallelujah. Do so you know what this is? What's happening? Twenty-five thousand. Twenty-five thousand. So there's twenty-five thousand manuscripts, all in this little teeny little arch right there. Okay. There is nothing anywhere close to this. In any book of antiquity, there's nothing that compares to this. And what's interesting is, I haven't even counted the lectionaries. So as time went on, back, you start getting the 300s and the 400s, what happens was the the church, I'm all out of breath, man. I mean, that was exciting. Uh, What happens is the... The church would, the churches made uh, orders of service in their worship services and they would have scripture readings. So then they would write the scripture readings in. So we have all these records of the worship service plans for the early church that had portions of scripture in them. I haven't even counted them, okay? So if you took all of the lectionaries, there's about eleven thousand lectionary ex- copies of portions of scriptures, and then, in addition to that, you get the writings of the church fathers during that time—three hundred, four hundred-ish, like that—and those guys, in in them, they have thirty-two thousand quotes of the of the New Testament. So you can almost reconstruct the entire New Testament from the quotes that the church fathers give and from the lectionaries except for a little bit of Acts and a couple and a little teeny bit of the book of Revelation. Don't know what was wrong with those two but uh, so you can reconstruct the whole New Testament from all of that. And that's 11,000 plus somebody help with the math. No, no, I'm sorry, excuse me. The lectionaries was over 2,000 and the church fathers is 32,000. That's 34 more thousand. That's more than this, right? This is 25,000. You're adding this again. Friends, friends, the New Testament is is extremely reliable as a matter of fact there is no book of antiquity that is as reliable as this book and I'm not even talking about whether you believe what's in it it's just whether or not when you read this you're reading what's what the original was it's the bible isn't this interesting because people just like to say "Ah, oh, you don't know what's in there and you don't they don't actually know the facts amen These are the facts. Well, what about the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament is a different story because it's so old. Uh, You've got uh, some of the earliest writings were written down 1,500 years before Christ. So, um, before even what you saw on the timeline. So, that's really, really, really old. Um, And so, we're going to expect that there are going to be um, a a much longer time span between the manuscripts and the originals, and that's true. But nevertheless, we do have 11,000 manuscripts. So you think about that, you think about Homer's Iliad with 643, right? Well, the Old Testament, we've got 11,000. Pretty pretty impressive. Um, Now, Textual transmission, how were these copies made? And I'm still on this issue, can we trust those 11,000 manuscripts? How, uh, well, when you look back and you, you, you ask the question, how did they go about copying them? What did, what did they do? Because, um, you know, you had, uh, it was either on parchment or it was on papyrus and these people were writing this by hand, there's no, there's no machines involved with this. Let me give you just a hint. Later, we don't know exactly all that they did way, way back, but we know the reverence that they had for it. They saw this as God's Word, and so there's this great concern that they're copying it and transmitting it down the line accurately. But where we, we do have some information is with the Talmudic scribes, which is around A.D. 100 to 500— let me read to you some of their rules. This is the way they went about copying the manuscripts, and I'm not going to do them all. They said, for example, they were using parchment. It says, every skin must contain a certain number of columns equal throughout the entire codex. So they're going to have, each skin is going to be exactly the same, and they're going to have a certain amount of columns. Another rule, the length of each column must not exceed must not extend over less than 48 or more than 60 lines, and the breadth must consist of 30 letters. They're, they're, They're measuring it exactly. The whole copy must be first lined, and if three words be written without a line, it's worthless. So they would go through the whole thing, and they would line it. And if in the writing there were more than three words not on a line, in the trash can it went. It's like, nope. That's no good. Um, The ink should be black, neither red, green, or any other color. And there was a, a, a definite like recipe to use it. No word or letter, not even a yod, that's this little mark in the Hebrew, must be written from memory. The scribe not having looked at the codex before him. So this is what happens. He's got what he's writing. He's got what he's writing from. He can't look over there and say, Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, Nebuchadnezzar. No, he's got to go N-N-E-E. I'm really glad these people did this, but I'm glad I didn't have to do it. (laughs) You know, I don't even know how to spell Nebuchadnezzar. You know, that's a bad, but everything. So they're not writing from memory. They're not reading a line and writing the line. They have to go letter by letter over and over. Between every consonant, the space of a hair or thread must intervene. uh, Between every new uh, section should be the the width of nine consonants. Between every book, three lines. Everything was exact. Um, the, uh, The copyist had to sit in full Jewish dress, wash his whole body, and not begin to write the name of God with a pen newly dipped in ink, and last line, I liked it. And should a king address him while writing that name, he must take no notice of him. Very strict rules. Now, then, you've got the Masoretic scribes who, who lived a little later. Let me read you some of what they went through. And this is pretty, pretty amazing. It says the Masorites were well disciplined and treated the text with the greatest imaginable reverence and devised a complicated system of safeguards against scribal slips. They counted, for example, the number of times each letter of the alphabet occurs in each book. They pointed out the middle letter of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the middle letter of the whole Hebrew Bible and made even more detailed calculations than these. Uh, Everything countable seems to have been counted, said Wheeler Robinson, and they made up mnemonics by which the various totals might be readily remembered. The scribes could tell if one consonant was left out of an entire book or of the entire Bible. They built in so many safeguards that they knew when they finished that they had an exact copy. Can you imagine that? Okay, I'm finished. I wrote the whole book of Isaiah. Great, some other guy goes and starts counting letters. And he counts in so many. And then he goes to the the back and counts. And it better wind up at the middle consonant. And he knows what the consonant is supposed to be. That's the kind of stuff that was going on. Amen? And so with that kind of of care and attention, we have great confidence that as things were being passed on, uh, it was accurate. But even so, even with that, for the longest time, our earliest manuscripts of the, of the Old Testament were still uh, around 900 AD, you know, we, we, 900 AD, and then there, there came this thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls, And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's just a picture of one of the caves out there. There was a a little boy out there, and he does what little boys like to do when he finds a rock, and he sees a hole up on the side. What would every little boy do? He would try to throw the rock in the hole. He could see if he could do it. And he did, and he heard something break. And then he told somebody and they, this is in 1947, they discovered uh, it was first seven and now it's been up to uh, 12 um, caves in which were found uh, pottery and inside the pottery were these scrolls. And, on, and um, now this is the most recent cave. That's a blank scroll. It wasn't anything. But you can see the potteries on the outside, the scrolls still there. Very dry there. It would never have been preserved in a humid climate. But being so dry, it, and in these clay pots, it actually stayed. And this, these, um, the, in these were copies of the Old Testament that were... Um, 900 years older than our most, our oldest manuscripts to that time. So now we had something that's almost a millennia older than our, our oldest manuscripts. And they're like, whoa, let's compare and see. I bet, well, the skeptics were saying, I bet there's a bunch of difference. We just got a thousand years, basically. And you know what they found? It was the same. Ha <laughs> ha. I mean, it was the same. Gleason Archer, who's really into this kind of stuff, says, The Dead Sea Scrolls proved to be word-for-word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. It was the same thing. Praise God. Amen? So now we have manuscripts that go all the way back Uh, uh, right around the time of Christ concerning the Old Testament and it matches with everything we have, uh, anything else that we also have. So, the Bible's textual reliability, what are we saying? We're saying we got these two questions. How many manuscripts do we have and... um, Let me go back, and and how much time has expired between the original and the the, the manuscripts that we have. When we look at all of that, uh, John MacArthur says here, with so many accurate manuscripts you can know with no hesitation that the Bible you hold in your hand is a true English translation of the original preserved accurately. Amen? So whether you believe what's written or not, that's another question, but you've got to recognize that this is is what was written, and you're you're, you're beginning to put all this together to make the case that it's very reliable. A.T. Robertson said the vast array of manuscripts has enabled textual scholars to accurately reconstruct the original text with more than 99.9% accuracy. And then, but then the question comes up, well, are there mistakes? Were there errors? Yeah. Yeah, there were errors. There were errors because people were doing it. Amen? That's why having more manuscripts helps you figure out, and you figure out, well, what was the mistake, and what wasn't the mistake. Um, and, And so, we've got all of this and more to help us do that. And we can catch the the mistakes. That's why this kind of scholarship is important. Now, there's another question. Why why didn't God just preserve the originals? Right? This is his word. Why wouldn't he have preserved the originals? I have no problem with this question. Because I think I know, at least part of the answer. It's because we human beings are so prone to idolatry that we would worship those little pieces of papyrus and, and parchment if they were around. And if you don't believe that, just go to the cathedrals in Europe and look at the silliness that goes on worshiping and bowing down to relics that they say, ah, here's, you know, here's the Apostle Paul's fingernails, or here's the whatever, the whatever, here's a part of the cross that Christ, and all these relics, and people were kissing it, and, and, and bowing down to it, uh, not too many Sundays ago, it was a couple months now, uh, it was when we were in the book of Jude, I was looking at the issue of doubt, remember that, that about help those who are doubting, and we looked at Thomas, and because and of doubting Thomas. What I didn't tell you back then was as I was researching Thomas and his influence in India, because that's, he brought the gospel to India, um, there's a place there where there's a church there. They have uh, supposedly um, Thomas's right arm, and they have it encased in silver. And they got it in their little shrine and everything. It's like, I think you guys missed the point. We are so prone to have that physical thing that we can worship. And I believe that God just says, hey, look, look, this is what was written. Amen? We know this is what was written and we don't have the original. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, another question I want to a- answer. How many times was your Bible translated? You see, people have said, uh, this, is, this Bible thing, this is like whispering down the alley. You know that game where you whisper into the one guy's ear and by the time it gets to the end, it has no, no resemblance to what started? They said, this thing has been translated so many times. That is total bogus. Look, how, you know how many times this was translated? Exactly once, they went to these manuscripts and translated it, in this case, the New Testament, from Greek into English. It's translated exactly one time. And the Old Testament manuscripts, they went to those 11,000 plus, and they translated it from Hebrew into English. It didn't go into Finnish and then somebody translated it from Finnish to German and from German to to whatever. And then finally it got to English. That's not how it works. They just go to these manuscripts and translate it once. Amen? That's that's it. There's no whispering down the alley at all concerning this. Does that make sense? Because that's a misconception that people have. So... When you, look, when you look at everything we've been talking about, we acknowledge that these characteristics uh, of, of the Bible, that it's so unique, it's, it's historically accurate, it's not really in conflict with science, it asserts itself as having divine uh, authorship, it's completely reliable textually. These by themselves don't prove to the skeptic that the Bible is God's word, But they do do this. An intelligent person who is honestly seeking the truth would certainly take note of a book that has the qualifications that the Bible has and would recognize that it is in a class by itself. It really, there is no second place. It's all by itself, set apart from every other book on the planet and would therefore read it. (laughs) Amen? Amen? An honest, intelligent skeptic, once he or she understands this, would say, maybe I should read this. Maybe I should read this. It needs to be taken seriously. That, this, all of this evidence says that. This book needs to be taken seriously. It can't just be thrown away. And now I just want to end by looking briefly at the place of faith in all of this. Um, How does faith fit into this? Do I become convinced first that the Bible is the Word of God? Or do I believe first and then I become convinced? Well, let me end all of this with this passage from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. This speaking of God to us in his Son continues today. The Spirit of God takes this book and opens our eyes and enables us to believe. So faith does not contradict reason, But faith, in a sense, supersedes reason. Maybe that's the right word. It includes reason and goes beyond it. The facts can help me, help um, to get me to the point where I'm willing to listen. And then when I listen, I may hear the voice of the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And once I respond to him in faith then the facts support my faith and encourage me to keep on going. They, they, it, fe- it actually feeds off of each other. And all of this needs to lead us to hearing the Son of God. Amen? So that we go to the Word of God with confidence. If, if I'm not a believer, I go, to the, I go to this book and I would encourage you, you go to this book, you take it seriously, you read it, and you, you, you want to try to hear God, just try that. If you are a believer, and most of us in this room are believers, then we go to this, and we're our faith is bolstered by the facts, and we say, Hey, this is this is this, this is great, and and then we go and we say, Speak to me, Lord, speak to me through this book, and He will. So again, we end today just like we ended the last two Sundays. Read the Bible. (laughs) Amen? There are still Bible reading plans back there. You don't have to use one of them. You can find one on the internet easily. Uh, Some of you already have Bible reading plans. You don't, I'm not saying don't replace it with something else. You already got it. But whatever it is, let's make 2019 the year that we read the Bible. Let's just read it. And listen for the voice of the Son, the Son of God, as you read Let's pray. Father, we love you and, and thank you. We thank you for this marvelous book that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the scholars and the, the archaeologists and, and all these people that have, men and women, who have done so much to just answer critics uh, um, and bolster our faith. We thank you for this book, Lord, that we hold in our hand, and we know that 3,500 years ago, Moses wrote certain things down, and and I have utmost confidence that what he wrote, I'm reading today. And then everyone after him that wrote, O Lord, we know that that's what they wrote, and you've given it to us today. Help us, O Father, to seek your face and your voice as we read this book. Give us the grace in that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.